Hi, I'm Mandy. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to the podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on Spotify. Join us each Sunday at 1030 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Well, this morning, uh, I'm excited to get to be with you. My name's Adrian. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I'm really thrilled to be here. And we are in the midst of a series, a summer series Uh, In the book of Acts, we're really asking the Lord to teach us a lot through his word and help us specifically define what it is that our call is as the church. Our call is as the church. Uh, I've been thinking about that this week. I think uh, for some of us, it's easy to believe maybe the call for the church is survive. Like we live in a world that feels hard and it feels heavy and it feels like uh, maybe the temptation is to focus on just how dark the, and so we might feel like the mission of the church is just survive, like get through, but, but that's not it. That's not the call that God has for us. The call for his church is also not comfort. Man, I like being comfortable and that's a good thing, but that's not his call. His call for us as the church is one word, go. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be people that go, that walk across the street, that go across the cubicle, wherever it is that we are called to go. We're called to be people of action and compassion that minister in the world around us. And the book of Acts is helping us find our way through that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today, if you would turn there in your copy of Scripture. Uh, I pray this summer that your Bible just falls open to the book of Acts. I just, I think it's a great place to journey together, and I think it would be a great place this summer specifically for us to journey. Uh, But you can turn there now, and we're going to get to Acts 9. That's where the meat and potatoes is going to be for us today. But before we get there, I want to begin in Acts 7. Because what's happening, if you weren't here last week, we really talked about at the beginning of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit shows up and some really great things start to happen. And they're not because uh, there were great men and great women leading the charge. It was because the Holy Spirit was moving in the life of believers. And they were obeying the call of God to go. And now in Acts 7, we see kind of two parallels. On one side, we see God is moving and miracles are happening. And the kingdom is forming and the church, man, is alive. But on the other side, we see opposition and persecution and some hard things and so we see kind of this back and forth and I don't know about you but that should sound familiar because in my life oftentimes it seems like the times when God is moving and things are happening and there's also a lot of opposition just seems like in my life maybe you're not that way but in my life anytime it seems like man God is doing stuff there's also this other side of opposition and so the book of Acts teaches us that man that's a it's a really normal thing And specifically in Acts chapter 7, for the first time, we see someone other than Jesus give their life for the sake of the gospel. That Stephen is an ordinary man, an ordinary believer, but he stands up and has faith and proclaims, I'm not ashamed of the way of Jesus, and he gives his life. He's stoned to death, the first martyr for the sake of the gospel. And so I want to begin at the very end of Acts 7. I want you to see uh, this that says, meanwhile, while this is going on, while Stephen is being executed... It says, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, a character that kind of seems on the outskirts of the story, maybe insignificant. But let's read on. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And then look at the very next verse, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. 
You need to know Saul's a bad dude, man. <laughs> I mean, think about what's happening here. For the first time, really, they're witnessing someone being stoned to death, not because they are a criminal, not because, but because for the sake of Jesus, proclaiming that Jesus is the way. He is the Messiah. And so Saul's there, and he's not just holding the coats. He's nodding in approval as Stephen's life is taken from him. Let's continue reading. Just the beginning of chapter 8. Saul approved their killing of him, and on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. The rest of chapter 8 is sharing some good news, some things that are happening in the story. But now turn with me to Acts 9. I said everything I said to get us to Acts chapter 9, where we see again, this man Saul is on a mission. He, he has a call. It's not God's call for him. He has a call to steal, kill, and destroy the church. And look at where we began in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. See, some believers had fled because of Stephen's uh, being executed. A, a lot of, you know, that got everybody worried. And so some of the believers spread out and fled. And so some of them went as far to Damascus. And now Saul is saying, I want to go get them. I want to bring them to justice. And this is not a small journey. Uh, the journey from Jerusalem there to Damascus was about 140 miles. Walking on foot, that would have taken at least a week. And so Saul is on a long journey, day after day after day. Why? For this mission, his purpose, to destroy Christians, to destroy the church. Let's continue reading in verse 3 of Acts 9. It says, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied now get up and go into the city you will be told what you must do the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless they heard the sound but did not see anyone so Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Saul, I wanted to paint this picture of who Saul was. He was a bad dude. I mean, he, was, he had a lot of authority. He had a lot of I, I, zeal. I don't use that word often, but that's who Saul was. I mean, he was passionate about destroying the church, opposing the way of Christ. And he's on a mission. He's on a mission to Damascus to see other believers brought to justice, other believers. And if they stood up like Stephen did, then they would be stoned. I mean, this is his mission and his call. And for seven days, he's walking on this destination. But as he gets close, God, God speaks to him. And God shows up in a powerful way. And now Saul, this man of great power, is still heading to Damascus. But now he's having to be led by the hand, like a child. I want you to see this picture of the difference of what's happening. Let's continue to read in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go. 
go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias has heard the rumors that Saul is on the way. And he's reminding the Lord, hey, do you know who this guy is? Him? He's the one? Are you sure? But look at what it says. Don't miss it in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, somebody, go, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples there in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them prisoners, the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you keep reading the very next verse in verse 23, already they want to kill Saul. Already the religious authorities have had enough because he has turned. He has turned. He is no longer on their side. Paul begins on a mission to proclaim boldly in Damascus his cause, his way. It's not the way of Jesus. It's, it's justice and, and even persecution and, and bringing them back to uh, Jerusalem with him. But he enters now in Damascus with a very different cause as he stands to preach he doesn't preach his own cause, but no, the way of Jesus. Last week, we spoke about waiting. Waiting. We introduced this series on go in maybe a very unique way because a lot of us, we hear the word go, and maybe, maybe we could get into that. Maybe we could buy into that, as long as it doesn't involve exercise, you know? Like, we could get into that, right? That was a joke. But, um, like, so, so we're into, you know, but, but then go, like, some of us can get behind, but wait... None of us like to wait. None of us. I, I don't know anyone that loves to wait. Some of you are okay at it. You've developed that as a skill. None of us are excited to wait. We just don't, we don't like that. But last week we talked about the disciples there, their command from Jesus as he begins to leave is, you got to wait. Wait for my power and my strength and my vision and purpose for your life. And so last week we began this journey of understanding the call of the church. This idea of waiting, and today I want to introduce to you what I think is equally important in the life of the believer, the one who would choose to obey the call of God, and that is the idea of surrender. Surrender. Acts chapter 9 is an incredible story for a lot of reasons, but it's an incredible example of two men living surrendered. 
two men living surrendered. Start with Saul. We, we've already talked about this, that he's on his way. He's persecuting, and Jesus calls out to him in verse 6, and he says, go, go. But don't go in your power and your strength. In fact, I'm going to remove your power and strength. You're not going to be able to see. You're going to learn, Saul, that your plan is not the right. My plan is the plan, and you're going to trust in me, and, and you're going to surrender. And so he follows him into the city, and uh, suddenly you can tell, though, that, that Saul surrenders, not because he has to, because, look, the moment that he can see again, what does he do? He doesn't run away. He doesn't flee. He begins to preach right there, right there in the place where he was going to throw them in jail, right there where he had the papers in his hand. He had the authority of the government to arrest these men and these women. He stands up among them. And instead of getting out the handcuffs, instead of getting out the papers, he says, I'm here to proclaim the way, the truth, the life. That, that's an incredible, incredible example of surrender. But now I, I want you to think of Ananias. It's really easy to forget him in this story. Because if you know the rest of the New Testament, you know this guy Saul becomes Paul and much of the letters in the New Testament that are written are written from Paul, written from him in prison. Why? For the sake of the gospel, that Paul lived this life of go so well, that much of what we have in the New Testament is because of this moment and this experience and this moment of surrender. But let's not forget Ananias. We don't know a lot about him. In fact, there's really nowhere else except for Acts chapter 9 that we read about him. But think about the obedience of this man, minding his own business, at his own house. And God has the audacity to interrupt him, right? Like, I'm just living my life, and you've got to come in and mess with me. But, but he says, no, 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 Ananias, you've got to go. You've got to go, and I'm sending you to this man, Saul. And, and Ananias says, well, time out, time out. The Saul? Like, bad guy Saul? Yeah, that's him. And, and Ananias in that moment has to choose, am I going to surrender? Am I going to obey? Am I going to trust God and follow through and the reason you know he surrendered the reason that you know is because he goes in and look at verse 17 he goes in and he greets and he says brother Saul that term brother that was a term of endearment that was a term of acceptance a term of reconciliation this was the enemy this was the one who I mean just killed Stephen just stood there in approval and now Ananias is asked to go to, to help in, but but think about it Ananias' act of surrender, his act of obedience, helps connect Saul to the church. Can you imagine how many believers at that point were like, no, 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 we're not letting this guy in. No, 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 you're not letting... But God uses Ananias, his obedience, seemingly small at the moment, to transform and bring life to the church and carry on his mission. This morning, there's something I, I believe to be true as I've studied and as I've prayed I think this is true in my life. I think it's true in the lives of Saul, in the life of Ananias. I think it's true for us today. And it's this, that it is impossible to please God without complete surrender. It is impossible. It is impossible to please God in your life and in my life without complete surrender. I know this to be true because I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried living my life with something less than complete surrender. Where I say, okay, God, you can have this part of me, and you can do this, and I'll answer you here. But like Ananias, maybe I would say, ooh, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really faithful, and I go to church, and I'm a believer, and I'm generous. And I, but, but no, 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 you want me to go there? No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I believe 
it's impossible for us to live at peace with God. I, I believe it's impossible for us to please God without complete surrender. Some of us are here today and we're really frustrated. We're really frustrated because we're saying things like this, like, I, I just don't hear God speaking to me. I, I wish, I've been praying and praying and nothing is happening. You're feeling frustrated, like you're looking around at your life and you're thinking, is this all there is? And this isn't a magic formula, but I'm just here to say, if you haven't completely surrendered to the will of God in your life, it's, it's impossible to be at peace with God. It's impossible to please Him. It's impossible to experience all that it is that God has for you because you haven't, you haven't surrendered. You've, you've held something back. Acts chapter 9 is an incredible story of two men who choose to hold nothing back from God. I want to look specifically today, maybe you're thinking about what, what is it that I need to surrender? What does that look like? I, I'm going to suggest three things today. There's a lot more than this, but I think these three things provide a lot of foundation for where a lot of us are today. The first is this, is, is that in order to obey the call that God has for us, we have to surrender sin. We have to surrender sin. Sin it separates us from God. That's what the Bible says. The acts of sin that we do in our lives, disobeying God. We can't obey the call of God if we're disobeying him in our life. We can't. That's not complete surrender. And so some of us are here today, and there's, there's an area in our life that we haven't repented of it. It just simply and profoundly, we have to say, Lord, I repent of, of sin, of disobedience, of an attitude, of a habit, of things in my life that are not pleasing to you, God. And some of us, just it really stops there for us. We can't obey God's call. We can't be a part of his mission in the world because we have sin holding us back, separating us from God. God it doesn't keep God from loving us, and God's never going to stop pursuing us. He's never going to stop trying to break down. But there's a wall, there's a gap between us and God, and it's sin. But even deeper than that, some of us today... We've repented of sin, but the thing that we need to surrender is the things that used to define you, the things that used to define me. I want you to think about Saul for a minute. I want you to think about his ministry, that we just read he gets up in the synagogue, but how many times do you think he got up to preach and everyone in the room starts whispering, this is the guy. He was there. He, he was a part of stoning Stephen. He dragged women from their homes and threw them in jail. This is the traitor. This is the, I mean, we just pretend like it's all good, but I'm here to tell you, I think for the rest of his life, Saul had to remember what he used to be. He had to hear people remind him of his past. And he had surrendered, he had, but now he had to surrender, not from just the acts of sin, but now he had to surrender from the things that used to define him, the things that used to, def, and, and, and we're the same. Some of us in here, God's forgiven us, but we keep going back to the past and remembering, well, I did this. I was, I was, and we keep reminding God why we can't obey him because of all of our past and the things that we've repented of, but now we need to surrender and say, that's not who I am anymore. The memories of past hurt, the memories of past disappointment. Maybe, maybe God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself of the way that you've hurt other people. And in some ways, it's, it's limiting you, it's preventing you from being able to step out and obey God's call for your life and Maybe today you just have to surrender and say, God, I can't, I can't undo that. You know my past. And some of us today would even be at the place of shame, of feeling ashamed. Today we have to surrender. 
We have to let God use us in spite of our past. If Saul could, so can we. Next, I think we have to surrender control. I've preached on this and I've continued to preach it often because control is about self. Control is about, well, I'll go when it's my interest. I'll go when it's you know, about my blessings and the things that are in it for me. I'll go uh, when it's about my expectations. and what, and it's, it, Control makes it about me, 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 me. I will go, but under these parameters, God. I'll go, but only when I have the full picture. I need not just the next step, but the next three or four. And what we're doing is we're trying to control what God can do. Ananias, oh, I'll go, but, but not there. <laughs> not with him. I, I can't. You see what we do? We, we try to control, and while we control, we really limit God's ability to work in our lives. And we might be frustrated. God, why aren't you using me? Why, God, I'm not seeing victory. God, I'm not, but, but we haven't surrendered control completely to the will of God in our life. The next one, I think these are all cousins of each other, is fear. Some of us are afraid. I get it, man. I get it. <laughs> that we're afraid of the unknown. If I do that, if I obey God, if I step out in obedience, what could happen? Fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. What if I, what if I obey God and it doesn't work out for me? What's going to happen then? What are the people around me going to think? What if I have the confidence to do this and I just fall flat on my face? What about the fear of rejection? I've been honest with you many times that I grew up as a people pleaser. I, I wanted everybody to like me and I, I just kind of think that's the right thing to do. I mean, who wouldn't want someone to like you, you know? I, I just, but the problem is I let that become the Lord of my life. And so what I did is my mission was just about pleasing others and making other. and you live in this fear of rejection. What if they don't like me? What if they don't accept me? What if they, but the call of God is a surrender and it's even a surrender to fear. So this morning, some of us, if we were honest, we have to surrender to sin. We have to surrender to control, to fear, the things that are holding us back from responding to the call of God. I want to share a story. There's a picture on the screen behind me of a man named Harmon and his wife, Lula. It's not a great picture because uh, in 1900, the filter on the iPhone camera just wasn't quite as good as it is today. But if you squint really hard, you can kind of see him there. Harmon was born in 1882. His parents uh, immigrated here from Switzerland. But when he was 12 years old, both of his parents passed away. And he had to be raised by family and friends. And during that kind of long, painful time, he became a believer in Jesus Christ and decided to go to Bible college as a young man. And really, during that season of God speaking to them, he felt God's call. He felt God say, I want you to go. And specifically, he felt a call to be a missionary, that there were people around the world that needed to hear about the love of Jesus. And at that time, there weren't many people lining up to go do that. Specifically, he felt a call uh, to Africa, which in that place in the early 1900s was very dangerous and kind of mysterious. There was a lot of unknowns. There was obstacles of disease. There was opposition. There was not uh, money available to do this, but he simply felt called. And so uh, with a little bit of backing and a little bit of support, he and his wife traveled and began ministering there on the continent of Africa. And through a lot of hard days, through a lot of opposition, through a lot of quote-unquote failure, they continued to be faithful. Oftentimes they would be told, if you go to that village and that region, there's a risk there of malaria and the unknown, but they went anyway. 
Harman uh, Schmelzenbach is his name. He uh, became a part of the Nazarene Church and the Nazarene Church's work there in Africa. But at 47 years of age, in 1929, he passed away. Pretty young. Most of us could read that story and say, wow, what, what a shame. A life, a life given to that kind of work that ended so soon. In fact, when he passed away, they had experienced some good things, but still a lot of hard days. They weren't experiencing a lot of fruit. But through Harmon's life and through his obedience, uh, the church of the Nazarene began to take notice. They began to see the opportunity of unreached people, people that had never heard the name of Jesus. And so through his life and ultimately his death, they began to send more people, and more people felt the call to go. And today, the church of the Nazarene has 750,000 people in the continent of Africa today that are meeting and proclaiming the name of Jesus. Nearly in this next uh, decade, they're expecting over a million Nazarenes in Africa, and it began through the obedience of one man saying, yes, I'll go. And at the end of his life, maybe some would say, what a, what a waste. What really became of that? But now... <laughs> Over nearly a hundred years later, we see the fruit of one man's obedience to God. A big call to go. I want to show you a picture of two more people on the screen. Uh, the iPhone camera is a little better this time. It's uh, Pierce Dunn on the left and then uh, his friend and co-worker Evan Freeman on the other side. They're just average, ordinary teenagers who work at a, a coffee shop in Vancouver, Washington. It's called Dutch Brothers. It's a, a drive-through coffee shop, and people from the West get uh, really excited about these. I've never been. But they're normal, kind of everyday, working their job as baristas in the drive-through. And on this specific day, a woman comes through the drive-through. And as she begins to try to order her coffee, she just loses it and begins to weep. <laughs> I don't think that's a real common thing in the drive-through experience, but they find out that her husband was only 37 years old and he passed away the day before. And she just couldn't even bring herself to get a coffee order out. And so Pierce and Evan, along with a couple of their coworkers, in that moment, they felt called to go. And they were just working. They were just minding their business. They were just doing their minimum wage, hourly job. But they felt compelled and led by God in that minute to just reach out from the car and grab her hand and begin to pray. And they didn't realize the person driving behind them snapped a picture. And that picture went viral within a, just a week or so, 250,000 times it had been shared on social media. Just, just two, two guys, normal guys, being obedient to the call to go, to love, to care for the stranger. You see, no matter how big or how small it may seem, we are each called to go. And the temptation sometimes is to be so focused on the big thing that we miss the small thing. We miss the person in front of us that needs Jesus. And if we're surrendered, then we can obey and we can, because we're trusting in him. But then sometimes we only believe that we can do small things and we might miss the big thing that God has for us. It's the big thing and the small thing but it's all about this idea of go. I love what Jenny Allen says. She's a, a Christian author and speaker, and she says this. She says, great people don't do great things. God does great things with surrendered people. 
and surrender happens every day in 1,000 small moments. Some of us, man, I, I, I want to tattoo this to the dashboard of my car. <laughs> the great people don't do great things. God does great things with surrendered people. And the call is to surrender. Today, as we prepare to close, Pastor Joe's going to come and he's going to help me. I really want you to know this today, though, that surrender, you know what it does? It teaches us that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. That we proclaim a gospel, a gospel of ordinary people that do extraordinary things. It's simply because of surrender. It's simply because of obedience. It's simply because they answer the call of God to go. That surrender teaches us that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Pastor Joe's going to begin uh, playing and helping us as we conclude this morning. But as we conclude, I want to come down to where you are. I spend a lot of time up here away from you. Uh, but in your seat today, when you arrived, there was just a simple note card. If you would take that out for a minute, you'll understand the purpose of it. But this morning, as I prayed for you, and I prayed for uh, this moment that we would share together, I prayed, uh, I thought of how many Harmons might be in the room. I thought of how many Evans might be in the room. The big go, the small go, and everything in between. I just wondered today if there were some of us in the room that just needed to surrender something. Maybe, maybe you don't know what it is yet. Maybe you do. So this morning, we're going to just do something really unique that with a card that you have in your hand. I, I just I wanted to give you an opportunity today to just write down, physically write down, what is it today you need to surrender? What is it today that's keeping you from obeying the will of God for your life? What is it that maybe you don't, you didn't realize it until this moment, but it's not complete surrender today. You've surrendered parts and pieces, but there's something you're holding back. And there's really nothing magical about this card, but it is a first step. And some of us, if we can't take the first step, then we can't take the next one. And so I just wanted to offer you an opportunity today to just name it. What is that thing that's holding you back? In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask the ushers to come. You don't need to come yet, ushers. I'll tell you when. But we're going to do something we do every week. We're going to give through our, our tithes and offerings. And, and we do that. That's an act of worship for us. It's an act of, of giving back to God, being obedient to him, and trusting him with what he's given us. And today, we're also going to give back to God through surrender. That we're going to give faithfully, and we're going to give obediently, but we're also going to give surrendered. And in a few minutes, when the offering plate passes, uh, some of us, we just want to surrender and we want to say, God, I want to give you this today. This is the first step, you know, there's other steps along the way and, and surrender is about more than a moment, but man, it begins in a moment. And so today, for some of us, this is our moment. This is our chance, our opportunity to surrender. Can I pray for you this morning? God, I'm praying today for the church, your church, that's who we are, God. We are your church, and we've gathered here together, Lord, and we sense your call and your heartbeat. It's to go. It's to welcome, Lord. We've been talking about that all year, that your call is not just for us, but for those that are yet to come. And Lord, you're calling us to be obedient. You're calling us to lean in to your call for us, your mission for us. But some of us are being held back today. We're not being held back by our abilities. We're not being held back because we're not qualified enough, we're being held back because we haven't 
fully surrendered and allowed you to move and work. And so this is an opportunity, Lord. I pray over these cards, uh, these words, these things that we lay down. It's one step. It's one opportunity. But for someone in this room, this is the step that they've needed to get out from under the baggage, the weight, the shame, to get out from under control and fear and finally recognize that you have so much more for them. You have so much more in store for them than they ever thought imaginable. And so today, as we surrender, we really trust you with these things. We trust you to lead us and guide us. We trust your power would come and lead us in these moments. We thank you now. And we love you. In these moments of reflection, as some of us take a moment to just jot down whatever it is that we need to surrender, would you sing, lift up these words as Pastor Joe leads us? Thanks again for listening today. Email us at info at beaconofhope.org with any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. We are at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.